Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander, Episode 34. Is everybody in the world going to die before someone finds the answer? Do I have to remind you that theory is the beginning of solution? What are we up against? Is it a dangerous thing? All I've ever known to be true is a lie. I didn't say it would be easy. I just said it would be the truth. Welcome to Searching the Scriptures with Watchman Alexander, where we break away from religious systems and man-made dogma to learn the Word of God from an independent Hebraic perspective. And now your host, the prophecy buff who tackles the tough stuff, Alexander Lawrence. Hello and shalom. This is Watchman Alexander. And this is Terry Arnold. Thanks for joining us again on our journey through the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be picking up uh, where we left off in Genesis chapter 5, but also actually step, taking a step back and looking at a portion of chapter 4 that we basically glossed over last time, which is the portion about Cain's lineage. And it's interesting because Cain uh, is not one of those guys that uh, that had anybody survive through the flood. Uh, his lineage was broken off at the time of the flood, seemingly. <laughs> And, and he wasn't a great guy. So why do we get this detail about his offspring? And I think maybe part of the answer is that his, some of his offspring were the first to do certain things that are very important uh, throughout history, like ranching uh, and music. But there's also an interesting little portion in here about Lamech or Lamech. And mm-hmm. I have no idea what, why that's there. So let's talk about all that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what is it? I guess it, I think it's Jasher that gives more meat on the idea of uh, this thing that goes down with Lamech. So I guess uh, a lot of Jewish traditions say that Lamech actually, this whole thing where he's talking about if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times or 70 times seven. Um so it is thought by some that he actually was the one who accidentally killed Cain. And so he's coming back after that incident and basically just saying, me too. <laughs> so I, that's one part of it. But I've also heard that um, some, that it was actually the uh, Noah's son's wives that might have come in part from Cain's lineage. And so those are a couple of different swings on these last few verses here in the uh, lineage of Cain and all of those things that I have heard about. But beyond those two little factoids slash maybe just uh, guesses on some people's parts, um, I don't really know much about these last few verses. Good point about uh, Noah's son's wives. It is possible that they had some some DNA from Cain, especially Ham's wife, I would I would guess, but we're not really given any kind of information about those wives and where they came from, so it's it's pretty difficult to 
try and make that argument, but uh, yeah, very well could be that they were in his line. The whole Jasher thing, uh, maybe Jasher seems to be in part just folklore, uh, a lot of tall tales, but there are other things in there that probably came from legitimate history that was passed down orally and, and more or less maintained. So uh, it could be, of course, that particular part disagrees with Jubilees. So, yeah, because Jubilee says that Cain died by his house of stones falling on him. And that's where my confusion comes in, because I, I don't know what ancient sources to refer to and, and to trust in this instance. Yeah. But even if, um, let's say, Jasher was correct on this, why is that there? Why is that important? Do you have any clue? No idea. <laughs> no idea at all. But this is a good spot to kind of just talk about in general. When you when you find something in the scriptures that you don't know what to do with, um, it's one of those spots where it is very useful to just pray and ask, ask Adonai, hey, what, why did you put this here? And sometimes, uh, you know, he might be able to reveal that right away. He might give you a a little glimpse of another scripture you need to go to to follow and kind of pick up the breadcrumbs. Other times he might um, not answer for years and then suddenly, boom, something's revealed. And then still yet other times it might be, it just might not be for you to know maybe for, to, for doing the, the thing that Adonai has called you to do in your life. So all of those are, are possibilities when you look at scriptures like these, where you, you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure what to do with this. Um, I, I, as I think about this a little bit more, though, um, I believe it was the Bible Project. They talked a lot about how Lamech is a good example of how uh, corrupt mankind had become. And so this story kind of highlights a few things. You know, he's got a couple of wives already. So we see that greed coming in and. Uh, he's he's very much uh, got some self-centered words here <laughs> and applying things and uh, to himself as though because you remember it, it was actually God who who said seven times on Cain. And so he's declaring that over himself even to an even greater extent, um, which could be something that's just kind of presumptuous on his part. All of these things uh, kind of point at the kind of mind mentality that mankind had fallen into uh, in the days of Noah or leading up to them, rather. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are portions of scripture that are just mysteries, and I think you're absolutely right. We can ask God about these things. He may show us something at some point, but it may also be that this is in there for reasons that we're never going to understand. Um, until sometime in the afterlife. Yeah. And we got to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. So we're told that Cain knew his wife, which is another interesting thing. Who is his wife? <laughs> Not really something we need to talk about a lot on this show, but traditionally it's been understood that his wife was one of his sisters. Yep. Um, but Genesis doesn't explicitly say that. And so some people have wondered if there were other humans or humanoid beings out there in the world somewhere that Cain could go and, and get a wife from. That's all interesting, but conjecture. So I'm, I'm not going to spend much time there unless Terry, you have something you want to say about it. I, I got nothing except to uh, remind everybody that, you know, a lot of times we take for granted, we go, Oh, Cain and Abel, like those were the kids of Adam and Eve. Um, but when we remember when we get here later to the, uh, the generations of Adam, 
we, we find out that he had other sons and daughters. And so that part is explicit in, uh, in the scriptures that we do know they had other kids besides just Cain and Abel, although it doesn't sound like it right off the bat. Right. But what we could talk about is the fact that those brothers and sisters had to marry each other and have kids. And that's weird to us now because since the time of Moses, at least, you know, to the time of Moses, maybe before, um, but since that time, it's been illegal in God's law to have relations with your sibling. So what changed and, and why was it okay at one point and now it's not? Uh, one of the things I've heard there is that, uh, you know, Adam and Eve had this divinely uh, constructed DNA, right? And so that one of the things that we actually worry about when two people that are close relatives start to, um, I mean, basically make offspring, you get, you get an amplification of every defect in their DNA. So um, there's some, I think, some classic scientific examples of uh, just things that go wrong when you, you know, have the whole kissing cousins thing go too far. Um, all of that uh, can really just start to snowball. But if you're talking about Adam and Eve, right, are, are they going to have defects in their DNA? Well, probably not, right? <laughs> so um, they're going to have a very pristine version of that. And so uh, those kinds of effects you would expect um, not to worry so much about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So genetic sciences has, has shown that those defects didn't become um, large enough, didn't become significant for many hundreds of years after the time that Adam and Eve were alive and, and even really until after the flood because, and this is not something that uh, the secular scientific community has researched, but um, it would make sense that with the environment having changed at the time of the flood, that you would begin to have more genetic corruption, that the code would get broken more because of uh, increased radiation from the sun primarily, but there might be other environmental factors as well. All right, um, right. And those little errors in the code build up a little bit at a time over hundreds of years. And so, yeah, when you have siblings with the same errors and they mate, then you get offspring that have genetic defects. So it, it was not that God changed his mind about what's moral and immoral because God doesn't change in his character, but the situation changed. And so he had to make a, a change in the law um, to deal with the new situation. And that's an important distinction. I think we don't want to believe that God, because there are whole doctrines out there that would try and convince us that God has changed his morality, that he's changed what he considers sin right, and right. not sin. And they would point to something like this and say, well, look, you know, God has changed this rule. So why not other things? And it's the difference between character and situational adaptation. So you, he adapts to the situation and sometimes that requires new rule sets, but he's never going to change who he is in terms of right and wrong. Right, right. But I'd rather not marry my sibling anyway. I mean, <laughs> regardless of the time period in history, that just seems, it just seems weird to me. You know, like you grew up with this person. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, a different dynamic. I mean, but at the same time, like they're the first humans. So <laughs> there's not a whole lot, you know, of a, other fish in the sea, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was what it was. So uh, as we read through chapter four, we find that Cain had a son named Enoch. Now, this is not the same Enoch that is in the righteous line of Seth. Uh, this is a different Enoch, uh, one that came before to a different line. And this Enoch had a city named after him. It says in verse 17 that Cain had built a city and named it after his son Enoch. And then Enoch had a son named Erod. And then it goes down through um, some of his sons. But where that might be interesting to us is that some historians have tried to connect the city of Cain before the flood with a city in southern Mesopotamia after the flood that was very influential and may even have been the site of the Tower of Babel. And that city after the flood was called Eridu. And Eridu was, if, if not the Tower of Babel, it was at least the center of the religious system of the Sumerians. And they had a huge ziggurat there that was um, built up over time uh, in, in multiple generations, uh, increased the size of this ziggurat, which is really, a, it's a pyramid with a temple on top of it. And uh, under that ziggurat was the fresh waters, the freshwater springs of the abyss. Okay, so they, they actually call it the Abzu, which you'll find also in other places, especially in Egypt, we have um, spots where they built temples on top of what they call the Abzu. The word, in fact, in Egyptian is very similar. And that's where yeah. we get the word yeah. abyss. Um, so that was a significant place. And you know, we can talk a lot about that, and we probably will later, as to how that fits into the religion of Babylon. But um, it is a little bit of a tenuous connection, but an interesting one that, that perhaps the city of Enoch before the flood became the city of Eridu after the flood, or maybe um, Cain's city that was named after Enoch got renamed after his son Erod because Erod sounds actually more like, more like Eridu. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's very interesting. And what else we have in this chapter is the explanation that some of Cain's descendants were the first to do things like living in tents and having livestock. Um, so before that point, everybody was growing food from the earth. They were farmers. And here we have uh, the beginning of ranching where somebody would move their livestock from place to place, depending on the season and the, the state of the foliage. And in order to move around with their livestock, they created these, um, you know, portable dwellings, these tents. Whereas before, I suppose, people were building little, they were either living in caves, which I think was probably initially how it was done. Um, at least Adam and Eve were, were probably in a cave. And then at some point, I'm sure they started making structures out of stones, just stacking stones or using mud and um, clay and stuff like that. So they weren't building these things that could be broken down and, and shifted from place to place. So Cain's descendant, Jabal, Yabal, yeah. was the first to do that. And then we have uh, his brother that was the first to create musical instruments. Sure, there was probably singing before that point, but 
it seems like he was the first to actually create an instrument to use and specifically stringed instruments because it says the lyre and the pipe, which pipe would probably cover everything from flutes to, you know, brass instruments that are basically a long tube, like a trumpet. Um, That probably all came from his creation of the pipe. And that's interesting because we get the word Jubilee from this guy's name, Yubal. Um, And you'll find that in a lot of different languages, uh, for instance, in German, the word Jubel or Jubal, I can't remember now which it is, but uh, that means to shout and to have jubilation. So you're making noise, right? Uh, right this guy's right. name is, is the root of all of that. And of course, we know we've talked about the Jubilee and uh, how that's announced with a trumpet and how it's a, a rejoicing time. You're making a lot of noise. It's a party because things are being released and returned to the owners. So yeah. this is the source of that. I guess that's why that needed to be in the scripture. So we understand uh, the history of, of even that word and those practices. Um, and then we're told about Tubal Cain, who was the father of those who work bronze and iron. So smithing started with the sons of Cain as well. Um, that's a lot of really important stuff. Yeah. Um, not all of it is great. You know, <laughs> music has been, <laughs> music continues to be misused in a lot of ways. Um, Forging, the Viper, yeah. Mm-hmm. Forging metals uh, is very dangerous to us in a lot of ways. You know, we create things that are, can crush human beings. We create mechanical things that can um, be turned into weapons and used to kill each other. There's a lot of danger around the use of metals. We're soft creatures <laughs> and metals are dangerous to us, but they're also very useful. You know, so good and bad came out of that. But interesting that so many of those really world-changing critical things came from Cain's line. Well, I think something that I'm starting to see here is that there's this pattern of human innovation that is happening on Cain's side. And I, I can't help but draw a connection between that and what we would expect from uh, when you're talking about the path of eventually the Antichrist, like, I would expect that same kind of idea where the one who is trying to master men is also mastering all of these crafts and and different things, uh, perhaps not with the same tether uh, to God and respect for God as others. Not to say that these particular people in this lineage are misusing these, since it's not immediately obvious to me, at least, uh, that that's going down. Um, but you see that possibility there because we know that all of these were used for um, evil just as much um, as they were used for progress. Yeah, absolutely. The whole human innovation thing really drives our world today. Other than us, people like us, yeah. I don't know that you're going to find anybody out there who is talking about human progress and innovation as being maybe a bad thing. Yeah, there's great things that come out of the increase in understanding and technology and um, abilities to create more and more advanced stuff. But there's a whole lot of bad that's coming out of that as well. And I think that that's growing exponentially, especially since the industrial era started. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think part of what's going to move people back to a one world government like we had at Babel 
and it's going to move people into the beast system, which is so all-encompassing, is the desire to see humankind advance to the point where we are essentially like gods. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, catching one of your episodes of your YouTube when you talked about the city Neom, which uh, the Saudi Arabia government is... Uh, it's been forming and working on it. And for those that don't know, it's a giant mega city and it's all about human innovation to the fullest extent. Um, that, that kind of idea where someone just takes some barren desert, desert wasteland and tries to make it into, you know, a technology mecca and really technology mega city. Those kinds of ideas are exactly what uh, we should expect in the end when it comes to the, the Babylonian system being reset up fully. Yeah, indeed. Okay, you want to move on to chapter five? Are we finished with chapter four for now? There was one more note in verse 22. It mentions uh, Nama as, as Tubal Cain's sister. So another uh, piece of that is that some think that this is actually Noah's wife, actually, is Nama. And that that I would find very interesting. Oh, yeah. You know what? I hadn't noticed that, but I remember there being some extra biblical text that names Noah's wife. And I think her name was Nama. Yeah, and that would then draw the connection that we were talking about earlier some to, uh, you know, any, any part of Cain's lineage surviving uh, the flood that would definitely be a huge connection. And it would also explain a lot of these stories. Right. Hmm. So interesting. Hold it right there, Watchman. Get a cup of tea. It's time for everything under the sun when we take three minutes to hear from the Watchman's wife, Amanda Lawrence. There's a long-running joke between the Watchmen and I. Actually, I don't know if I would call it a joke. There's a long-running understanding between the Watchmen and I. And that is, when the nice British announcer with a great voice comes on and tells him to go grab some tea, and he says that I will be talking about a topic for three minutes. First of all, I have a stutter, so to give me a time limit on anything is just rude. But secondly, I'm not short on words anyway, so I always go over the time limit. So today, to everyone's amazement, I'm thinking I'm going to be well under it. And here's why. This is going to be an introductory to my next three, yes, you heard that right, three portions of everything under the sun. Next week, we're going to be talking about transparency. The week after that, we're going to be talking about prophecy and eschatology. The next week after that, yes, I know, I did say prophecy and eschatology. The week after that, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Now, what do those things have in common, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you, those are topics that Christians or Torah observant people in general, we don't talk about that. I'm not hearing sermons about these things, really. We may hear sermons about transparency, about how we should help carry each other's burdens, etc., etc. But you know as well as I do that every small group is always, my next door neighbor's best friend's brother's dog is sick. It's not, oh, I'm struggling with an eating disorder. Maybe we should talk about that stuff. So I'm going to be discussing the three topics that I'm not hearing a lot about in Christian circles, which is funny because as soon as I bring up one of these things to someone who I know, the consensus tends to be the same. Oh yeah, that happened to me too. Or 
yeah, you're right. Like, I don't really understand this or yeah, I felt really alone in this and didn't have anyone to talk to. There's a possibility that we've experienced or have questions about any one of those three topics. And I feel like we're very siloed in them. So I just want to start the conversation to kind of encourage everyone to start those conversations right where we are. Again, this was just an intro. How's my time, Watchmen? I hope I made it under three minutes or better yet, under two. I would also love to include any thoughts or questions or comments that you'll have about those things. So again, transparency, eschatology slash prophecy or spiritual warfare. Uh, a side note on the prophecy eschatology. If you have like question questions, you should still direct those to the watchman. I'm more talking about uh, just the topic as a whole and how we're not discussing it. I mean, you're free to ask me what the prophecy in Jeremiah whatever means, but I will absolutely forward that straight to the watchman. So as always, feel free to reach me or drop that comment or question at thewatchmanswife at gmail.com. I, I am I am so not sorry, man. There's some cool stuff on this genealogy out there, you guys. It's true. It, it actually, well, it's interesting, but it's aggravating because <laughs> we have not just because it's a genealogy, which I know some people, you know, they sigh uh, a great sigh as soon as we get to one of these. But it's interesting because there are different accounts of this genealogy that have different numbers, oh, and yeah. that's the confusing and aggravating part but we need we need to talk about it because if you try to use these records to determine how old the earth is which a lot of people have tried to do you've got to first decide which version is the correct version and as far as i understand <laughs> nobody's really been able to do that 100 percent yet i remember taking myself to this task the first time uh the very first time that i read Jasher, I believe I read it. I read Jasher side by side with Genesis and I was comparing and I was noting the differences with the timeline, especially and who was left out of genealogy and who wasn't. And I found some very interesting oddities. So one of the things that I saw uh, and and I learned later that um, the Jasher one actually meshes well with I can't remember if it's the Septuagint or the Masoretic text. So the Masoretic text is like the the Hebrew, old Hebrew. And then the Septuagint was the uh, Greek version that got translated. And it jives, the Jasher one jives more with one of those. And I'm sorry that I can't remember which one. But one of the things I noticed was what type of errors were in there. So I remembered when I looked in, in the Jasher account and tried to do the timeline to say when this person started and that person ended and so on and so forth, that it actually didn't match up consistently within itself when I was reading it. Um, and that the, the mistakes were always on the order of something like it was like a hundred years. Like it was, it was like the same amount of years that were missing every time I saw one. And I just found that as very odd, uh, I remember when I was reading through that. Now, it might have just been whatever the specific translation I was looking at at the time, because I was very much in a fledgling mode of touching any extra biblical text, which is 
part of the reason why I was being so careful, like reading side by side that way. Um, but those, there were the way it all played out was very interesting. And, um, you know, it, it seemed to be trying to support, support a lot of things like the identity of Shim being Melchizedek. And it, it seemed like there was something else at play there when I was going through it. So the Septuagint is the text that gives us the longer chronology and the Masoretic gives us a shorter chronology. So if you go with the Septuagint, then the earth is older by about, I want to say it's like 1500 or 2000 years, something like that. If you go by the Masoretic, it's shorter and you have a, a little bit less conflict with a couple of things like the age of Methuselah when he bore his son. Mm-hmm. Um, although those who support the Septuagint would say that is kind of easily ascribed to, uh, I shouldn't have used that word because it sounds like a pun, but it's easily ascribed to a scribal error <laughs> yeah. um, with, with that particular date. There's also the, the uh, Samaritan Pentateuch, which is the Samaritan version of the books of Moses. And that one has a slightly different chronology, although it's closer to the Septuagint. But then we can go outside of those uh, scriptural texts or, you know, supposedly scriptural texts. And we can see from um, historical records that there were Jewish people who were using the Hebrew version, not the Greek version of the Old Testament, but the Hebrew version of the Torah and the Tanakh, who were giving dates that were lining up with the Septuagint. So, for instance, uh, Josephus talks about the age of the earth and his numbers agree with the Septuagint, not with the Masoretic. Um, and he wasn't using the Greek translation. He was using only Hebrew texts at that point. Yeah. So what that tells us is, and it's more than just uh, Josephus, it was also uh, Philo and a couple of others. And what that tells us is that the Masoretic, which was developed in 160 AD, I think that text was probably changed from either to be different from the Septuagint and the Hebrew text that preexisted it because of biases against Christianity and the timeline that was being put forth by Christians, or the Masoretic restored the oldest Hebrew records, which were correct in the Septuagint and the other uh, Hebrew versions of the Torah that were in existence at the time of guys like Josephus and Philo were already in error at that point. Which of those is it? Nobody really knows. And it's very frustrating that we have essentially three versions you know, with, the, with the Samaritans disagreeing with Septuagint and the Masoretic. And, and then you go to books like the Jasher and you get something different. Jubilees uh, says something a little bit different in its chronology as well, although it is a lot closer to the Masoretic than it is the Septuagint. It's got a shorter chronology. Yeah, and then to further complicate things, I think there are also similar dis- uh, um, differences and whatnot in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Um, I think some of the things that were found there also mess with the timeline and, and some slight variations. So right. then my question would be, what do we do with all of that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do we do with it? Um, most, For the most part, people have just ignored it. Very few scholars have tried to address this issue with any uh, significant time and effort. And those who have, have not been able to produce any kind of um, 
hard evidence that would point us to one chronology or the other as being correct. I think what we have to realize from this is that sometimes scripture gets corrupted. And I believe in the inerrancy of the word of God as it was originally given. So whatever Moses wrote, it was correct at the time that he wrote it, but we don't have those original documents. We have lots of different copies from different groups of people and dates in particular seem to be a real issue in terms of how those were transmitted. I don't know why narratives and poetry and stuff like that seems to have remained much more consistent, but dates in a lot of different places in the Bible are not super consistent between various copies. I don't know why that happens, but I think we need to understand that because we can't necessarily just look at one manuscript or, or one um, type of, uh, of scriptural transmission and say, oh yeah, that's the word of God. That's the truth period. That's what we're going with because there are multiple different versions. Yeah. And, and another thing with that is that sometimes we need to understand the message more uh, about what's being communicated. Um, there's a, a scene from the movie, was that Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events. And they have this aunt, the, the three children that are in that uh, movie, they have this aunt that they stay with and she's all super careful about all of these things and it's super huge on grammar. And then later, the, the villain played by Jim Carrey, I believe it was, um, he snatches her away and she leaves a supposed note which has all of these grammatical errors in it. And the kids, they're, they're smart. They're like, that's, that's really strange that there's all of these problems in here. And so when they, they look at it, they realize that the errors themselves actually make a message of their own. And then that's how they find out that something's amiss with their, their aunt. Um, when I think about how God has operated with us for so long, uh, taking even our worst mistakes, good example of that is Joseph and his brothers. I mean, how can you use a situation where a young man, a young upstanding young man in the name of Joseph uh, is living his life and God uses the fact that he, 10 of his brothers hate him with, or yeah, 10 of his brothers hate him with all their heart <laughs> and sell him into slavery and use that to redeem the, the whole uh I mean, that, that whole area, the whole world at that time, uh, the known world at that time from famine. I mean, that's what God does. He takes mistakes of ours and he can make it and turn it into something good. And he has a message in that in and of itself. So I think another thing for us to keep tracking with is to know that God is able to take all of these things, which frustrate us at this moment, and to reveal a deeper part of himself that he, yes, he is greater than our mistakes. He is greater than our mishaps and our errors. Yeah, that's a good point. I also think God lets a lot of this stuff get mixed up because he doesn't want us to know exactly where we are in history, where we are in the, the timeline. We don't need to know that. I mean, as much as we would love to, and there's a lot of people that have tried to, you know, to nail down exactly what year it is right now and how many years we therefore have left before the end of the age. We don't need to know that. Um, we just need to trust God. We need to know the season that we're in, not the exact date. 
I agree with that. So that may be one reason. Um, but I should probably address the elephant in the room, which is that in the first episode of this podcast, in the first blog post I put up on my website, I talk about the 7,000 year plan of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I call it the Seption. And I lay out the case for having seven millenniums of redemptive history. If you go with the Septuagint or the Samaritan Pentateuch, you're going to find that the earth has already been around for more than 7,000 years. In fact, I think we would be in the eighth millennium at this point if those chronologies are correct. If you go with the Masoretic, it's shorter, so it still works. Um, We wouldn't yet be in the seventh millennium yet. Is the Masoretic the more reliable? There's a lot of reasons why I might say no, because of who wrote the Masoretic text. Um, And it was done late in history. It was done after Christ had already um, had his first advent and Christians were being persecuted. And there were reasons why the Masoretes changed some of the things in scripture. Um, They took out certain, they modified certain portions, which were messianic in nature, things that would have supported the idea that Yeshua was the Messiah. And, uh, and so there are things in your, in most Bibles, which are based on the Masoretic text, which do not make sense. Um, if you compare the new Testament with the old, because you'll find that the new Testament quotes certain messianic prophecies that when you go back and look at them in the Masoretic, um, are not the same as what's being quoted. Um, it's because they've been changed by rabbis in, uh, in early, uh, second century or mid second century. So I don't necessarily trust the Masoretic text that much, but the chronology works better in terms of the Seption. There may be a solution to that in the idea that the Seption could have begun at the flood or right after the flood instead of beginning with creation of Adam because the flood was a reset. So if the timeline of redemptive history began from there because you were basically in a new age, a new eon, um, then we could still have the longer chronology, but we could have the 7,000 years fitting within that. Uh, so that's a possible solution, but it's all just a lot of question marks, really. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting and, and, and fear, infuriating for somebody like me because <laughs> I, I like things to be clean. You know, I like to have those, those clear-cut answers, and uh, I can't always have that. God, no, no, we can't. Give me other thoughts on chapter five. Um, no, I'm kind of gritting my teeth ready for some, some chapter six, but I'm probably missing some stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, chapter six is where it gets really interesting. I think the names of chapter, well, let me give credit oh, where credit is due. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so years ago, I learned from, uh, a well-known teacher who's since passed away, um, Chuck Missler. I almost forgot his name. Oh, Chuck yeah, Missler. Mm-hmm. That the names of the people who are listed from the line of Seth in chapter five actually add together to ma- to make a message that has to do with the gospel. Really, Yeshua. Uh, each yeah. name has a particular meaning. And if you take the meanings and you just put them together in a chronological sequence, then you get this basically messianic prophecy about how Yeshua is going to to come and save 
Um, and I don't have that right up in front of me right now, so I can't redo that prophecy in the names, but um, go take a look. It's, it's easy to find Chuck Missler, um, Genesis, genealogy, meaning, or something like that, and, and you'll be able to find it online. Typing. Those are the kinds of things that God hides in the scripture that it's so awesome to, to see when you find it finally, when he opens somebody's eyes, you know, and it, he doesn't reveal things to all of us. It's usually he'll pick one of his servants and he'll reveal that to, to that servant. And then we get to rejoice with them when they find something cool like that. And then some other servant will get something else. And, you know, as a body, we, we get to share all these nuggets with each other. And, uh, and it's beautiful. Rest in peace, Chuck Missler. Um, thank you for your contribution. And so the composite list is um, you have Adam, which means man. Seth is appointed. Enosh, which means mortal. Canaan, uh, which means sorrow. Mahalalel, which means bless God. Uh, Jared shall come down. Uh, Enoch teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. And uh, Lamech, the despairing. Noah is rest or comfort. And when you put it together, man is appointed mortal sorrow. And the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. How awesome that that was built in there. Of course, only God could do that. That's why we got to watch our baby names. (laughs) Put some more thought into that stuff. So the, there's a portion of chapter five that mentions how Noah was named rest because his father prophesied that Noah would bring them rest, um, rest from their labors and all the toil of the earth that God had cursed. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's interesting because Noah is this type of Christ. And we know that Christ, when he returns, brings, and, and at the end of the age, when there's the flood of wrath and there's the, the flood of all of the, um, the destruction of the earth again by fire instead of by water this time, but but the earth is once again destroyed. But what comes after that is rest. Um, Just like Noah brought rest and and had rest after the destruction of the earth the first time. Yeah. Just as it's written, there remains a rest of a rest for God's people as it talks about in Hebrews. So we're looking forward to that rest. Mm -hmm. Okay. We should probably stop there. Um, we have a lot of it's going to be hard to wait for next time because <laughs> we have a lot to talk about in chapter six but we're just going to have to wait another week yes sir everybody thanks for being with us and until next time be wise as serpents and harmless as doves watchmen out shalom shalom